Yo, this is Steve Bloom, and you're watching Moana Nui Podcast. We'll be starting soon. Don't go anywhere. I'm Veronica Taylor. I'm from myself and Ash Ketchum. I just want to say, Moana Nui, I choose you! Aloha, everyone. Welcome to the Moana Nui podcast. We're so glad to have you uh, tuned back in with us. If you joined us for our earlier um, episode, uh, we got to sit and talk with our panelists about uh, Disney Plus uh, new series, She-Hulk. So if you missed any of that, definitely uh, go to uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, or Twitter uh, to be able to watch that episode. There's a lot of good laughs and a lot of great conversation with that. Uh, but of course, for those that are new uh, to the show, let us introduce ourselves. Uh, my name is Dana. I am the other half of the Moana Nui podcast. Um, I'm also an event planner, a con event and um, and cosplay photographer. I photograph Momocon, Dragon Con, uh, several other cons, and you even see my photos with DC Comics, and also I'm a voice actor um, outside of my day job. And now I'm going to hand it over to the other half of the Modern Movie Podcast, the founder of the show, the yin to my yang, and the lovely, illustrious Moana. <laughs> Aloha, everybody. It's Moana here. Good to see everybody tonight. I'm really excited for tonight's show. Uh, I think this is one of my favorite shows um, on our particular podcast. Sue Ann is always bringing the heat. Um, yeah. And so I'm really excited for tonight's um, topic. Uh, but for those who may not know me, uh, my name is Moana. I am the founder of the show, as Dana mentioned. I'm also the publisher for our imprint here at Burning Spear Comics and the Wildcard Chronicles comic book series, and a children's book author uh, for the Adventures of Nakoa and Nohea series, which is a, a series that follows two young Pacific Islander children on all of their watery adventures. Um, and of course, a champion for our BIPOC community. So thank you all for being here tonight. Please engage with us in the comments. I'm really excited to um, have this conversation. Exactly. And of course, before we bring all of our um, wonderful guests and uh, our the illustrious uh, Sue Ann Hong, who always brings so much um, good information for this segment. A uh, couple announcements. Uh, one thing, you know, uh, for those that are new, um, the Modern New Podcast, we'd like to definitely uh, highlight uh, different Kickstarters, especially with so many in the BIPOC communities uh, that are, that <laughs> JD's asking if I'm wearing a Power Rangers costume. No, 
I am wearing a kickball t-shirt because we had kickball today. So I'm wearing my kickball t-shirt uh, right now. <laughs> but uh, as Moana mentioned, uh, she is a children's book author. And one thing we like to do is highlight different um, series that are from the indie community that is giving that diversity aspect that many people are looking for. And one of them is Moana's children's book. She's currently have a Kickstarter out for her third children's book in the series. So if you are looking to support or you have some little ones in your life that is looking um, that you love to give some other books to them and also teaching them Hawaiian as they're re um, reading the book, uh, please go to her Kickstarter. The link is in your comments. And of course, uh, a friend of the Monani podcast, Malachi Bailey, is turning his um, books into a comic book series. And the first issue of her uh, will be with uh, Wingless Comics, and his Kickstarter is going right now. Uh, that link is also in your comment section. So definitely click on that link and go and support both of these projects uh, so we can make a lot of things that we want in entertainment come to life. Uh, and with that, um, I would like to introduce our, our, our moderator, the, the person responsible for this Develop Your Talent segment, Suen Hong, and she is the CEO of Kapwa. Uh, she, well, she's doing some amazing things for a lot of women in, um, in the community and around the United States uh, with several initiatives she has going. And of course, uh, if you love this segment and love to support Kapwa, please go to the website uh, and you can go and there's a donate button. Click on that and give your support to that. Uh, you'll see the information, how you can follow Kapwa right in the banner below. And with that, I'm gonna go ahead and bring Sue Ann to the front. Welcome Sue Ann. Hello, my hey. sisters. How are yes. you? Hello. <laughs> Good to it see you. It always seems like a month is so far away, but it comes so quickly and I'm so glad for it. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so excited about tonight's segment. So Yes. 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 Definitely. And of course, as we get ready to introduce our panelists, this is definitely a new lineup of panelists and something different, which Sue Ann, as you read, we read these introductions, you'll understand why this is a little different than our usual lineup of different guests. Uh, our first panelist for tonight is Anjana. Uh, she is currently serving as the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Red Cross uh, at the National Headquarters. Uh, in the last 20 years, so she started at the Red Cross at 10, uh, she <laughs> had the opportunity to work with the International Red Cross and Save the Children U.S. Uh, she's worked with in over 30 countries in humanitarian and development seg uh, settings where she conducted uh, situational analysis, designed and managed programs, uh, developed training curriculum and build capacity uh, of uh, excuse me of local teams uh, and she has also developed a program um, guidance and strategy pertaining to community-based uh, psycho uh, psychosocial support children protection gender and diversity and inclusion so let me go ahead and bring up 
Anjana. Welcome, Anjana, to the show. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. And Jay, man, one of our faithful um, list, uh, people that watch our show, it says Aloha, ladies. <laughs> and our next panelist, uh, Juan, uh, he works at the national headquarters of the American Red Cross, especially on the diversity, equity, and inclusion team as a DEI business partner. He's a dedicated DEI champion and dynamic leader moving the organization forward every day. Uh, he is also a native English and Spanish speaker with proficiency in Russian with a wide range skill set that includes employee engagement, metrics uh, quantification, diversity, uh, diverse talent acquisition, social media marketing, impactful communication, marketing campaigns, project management, uh, and basically, one thing y'all know about anybody that comes on the show, they do not have a short bio. And I'm trying to make this very brief. Uh, so all true. these people do some amazing things. And this is not another show of some amazing people. Uh, he's also a diverse and art, uh, articulate strategist with broad experience implementing initiatives across levels and functions in international organizations with a focus on facilitating positive change and architecting an, an innovative workplace. So help us welcome Juan to the show. Welcome Juan. Welcome. Hi everyone, thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. And then last but certainly not least, uh, we have Anna uh, and she is breaking barriers uh, for the, a living as a Chinese transracial adoptee, first-generation college student, and privileged-only child, she emphasized the importance of intersectionality. Uh, with her background, uh, she's held various positions in research, nonprofit, healthcare, and hospitality, and is currently serving as DEI admin analyst at the American Red Cross. She is also, uh, although she is new to the organization, she is proud of how they are undergoing mission adaptation, uh, adaptation, excuse me, to create more equitable change and particularly interested in fighting the white saverism uh, complex. Uh, she also enjoys listening to podcasts, so now she has been introduced to a new one, so we look forward to you just tuning in and listening to us also, and she likes trying new foods, being in nature, and advocating for mental health. Uh, she hopes for the uh, future where the voices of the underrepresented uh, and underserved are amplified instead of silenced, and let us welcome her to the show. Welcome, Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited for this. Episode. Well, we're so excited. And as I mentioned at the beginning, something different. Usually Sue Ann gets somebody from the nonprofit sector, the corporate sector, and uh, different sectors to kind of have their representation. This is the first time we've had all our panelists from one organization. So we're very excited to have this conversation. And we're going to now hand it over to Sue Ann. Sue Ann, it's all yours. 
Thank you so much, Dana and Moana, as usual. You are always welcoming us in such an amazing way. Everyone, I wanted to bring these incredible individuals from the American Red Cross because, you know, I'm new to the National Diversity Advisory Council for the American Red Cross, and I have learned so much about what the organization does. And one of the things that I think is really important is to talk about they're a very, very mission-driven organization. And I love their culture and value when they say sleeves up, hearts open, all in. I love that. And they talk about being ordinary individuals, which I don't know if it's necessarily ordinary, but with the innate desire to do extraordinary things. And I think you're going to hear from these incredible leaders from the American Red Cross and the fact that they have they're bringing really wonderful things to the table. So one of the things before we start is they talk about, they strive to do, they have five key values and I want, they call it the five C's. So I want to bring that out because I think it's important to know what the values are. Compassionate, collaborative, creative, credible, and committed. And tonight's topic, especially around race and gender intersectionality, how this translates to the real world, you think about the values of what I just said and how that aligns to their personal stories and how their personal values align to the organization. So with that, I'm going to start off by asking Anjana to tell us about your journey and what led you to the American Red Cross. And as second part is, you know, give me a few of the services they offer. Sure. Um, so... Do you want my story first or the services? Story first, always. Okay. All right. So I really started with the American Red Cross 21 years ago. Back in India, we had a huge earthquake. Over 20,000 people died. And the, through the generosity of the American Red Cross donors, um, our American Red Cross colleagues came to India and they were looking for young psychologists to develop a program to uh, help people recover from their psychological, emotional needs after, after the earthquake. And I was just so privileged and so honored to join that team at that time. Um, I was just, there was so much learning. And um, what I really loved about the American Red Cross programming internationally was also that they wanted to build on the existing coping mechanisms in the communities rather than just bringing something right foreign from america to india to our communities and and since then i've just been with the with the red cross movement and um right have worked in over 30 countries and just was kind of you know we were doing inclusion work at a time when we didn't have those terminologies especially in that context um so if I were to go to all the services that we provide in the American Red Cross, um, we have disaster relief uh, where, you know, domestically in, 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 in America, we help people when, you know, in their toughest time. We also provide life-saving blood. Uh, we also do training and certification in swimming or um, CPR first aid. We also serve our military families. We help support with mental health and resiliency. We also help make connections between families. And we also have a wing that, like I said, serves in the international side. I think that, you know, 
I learned so much from attending uh, these NDAC meetings because, you know, when you think about American Red Cross, from my perspective, it's about blood donation. So all these other spaces that you're in to serve the community is absolutely incredible. So Juan, what, tell us about your story and how did you get to the American Red Cross? So I don't think my story is as inspirational. I was young in my career. Um, I was looking for a role or a career in the DEI space or HR space. And I have always been told that I, I am a people person and that, uh, you know, working at a nonprofit would probably be very beneficial for me um, and use, utilizing my skill set. So I found this role at the American Red Cross. I joined the team. Um, and then after three years, I was looking for growth opportunity. And so I actually left the Red Cross. Um, I think when you leave the Red Cross, you realize that you never truly leave. A part of the Red Cross always stays with you. You see it everywhere. I started seeing it at my bank, at messages happening on the news, anywhere on commercials, I would always see the American Red Cross. Um, so then after two years of leaving the Red Cross, I was actually asked to come back. Um, and help with Latino initiatives and Latino engagement at the DEI level, national level within the organization. Um, and I couldn't have said yes probably more quickly. It it's truly is a blessing coming back to the organization. And I also felt like I just picked up where I left off a little bit with folks that were in the organization. And it's like you're working with family almost. Um, and then in terms of services offered, I'm so glad Anjana already talked about all the amazing work that we do as an organization. I wanted to touch a little bit on what we offer our employees and volunteers. So we have seven resource groups within the American Red Cross uh, that cover very different and um, demographics or affinities. Um, but some examples are Umoja, our Black African-American group, our Latino resource group, our women's resource group, the Ability Network for people with uh, disabilities, um, our AAPI group, of course. Um, I can't leave here without mentioning them um, and a few others. <laughs> and then I also wanted to talk through some of the learnings that we offer. We have our monthly cultural competency series sessions that we host internally, learning to action, and even pushing out our new Inclusive Leadership Foundation courses across the organization. So thank you. Amazing. Amazing. And one, yes, it is inspirational. And by the way, I do see Red Cross all over because you're wearing the shirt. Right. <laughs> I keep seeing signs. I don't know where they come from. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for that. Anna, how about yes. you? So I feel like I manifested this into my life. Um, I visited the DC area maybe a month before that this position opens. And then given my experience, I felt that uh, this was the perfect role for me, right? I wanted to leave. I would say my city is still pretty diverse, but I wanted to find an area that was even more diverse. And when I think about my story, so what I was transracially adopted, and I think that a common narrative is a lot of um, like white families, I think especially will sometimes see children from different countries and say, my intent is good, right? I wanna adopt, I wanna be able to help a child, but then necessarily the mission orientation doesn't align. So maybe they'll take like, like a colorblind approach, right? So, or maybe like, um, I've even connected with some Asian transracial adoptees who said that 
at the beginning of COVID, like their parents have been explicitly racist towards Asians, right? So maybe like that, when we speak about these concepts of intent versus impact, how that comes into play. And that's something that I'm really interested in, especially at the Red Cross. So at our NZAC meeting, right, we had some folks come in and talk about how um, a lot of the services that we're trying to provide make them more equitable within our mission delivery, right? So partnering with the organizations and the communities that are already there. So maybe if we don't have that relationship yet, those organizations do. So then we can serve our mission at a broader level. Um, so we we already brought on some people, right, um, to work on those diverse partnerships. Uh, we have a new team member, I got a shout out, Nardine. Um, And thinking about also kind of, so I'm new also, but something that I learned about is like the mapping technology, right? So something that we didn't have five to 10 years ago is that we were more saying, um, this is the amount of meals that were provided, but not necessarily identifying what the communities were. And then we can break that down even more and say, you know, these communities were underserved, these communities were underprivileged, um, and then break down, you know, you can get into the demography from there. So one of the things with the American Red Cross, I'm hearing you say, Anna, is the fact that they're actually using data and technology to really focus on what communities really need to be served and prioritizing. So we'll talk, we'll get into some of that uh, later as well. But let me ask you this. So from a perspective, since our conversation is around intersectionality, how have you each experienced that intersectionality between race and gender personally? And let me start with Juan on this question. Uh, no, well, thank you for starting with me. Although, uh, even as I'm as I'm going first, I'm thinking about the privilege I hold as a male, even though I never realized it when I was younger that that was privilege. And so, as a person of color, um, being Latino, when you are faced with either discrimination or with challenges against you, um, you already develop a sense of you know, how is it that I can hold privilege, right? And I couldn't see it. When I was younger, I, I, would, I remember asking the question of one of my college classmates, uh, you know, I'm male, but I'm gay. Does that cancel each other out? And the answer is clearly no, it doesn't, right? And I had to open my eyes and also do a little bit of unlearning around what privilege I do hold and how I take up space whether it's in a virtual room or in a physical room um, and come to terms with that. Also being that, right, a lot of stereotypes that exist within Latino culture are of machismo. Um, and, and that's like the big, strong, burly guys and we're manly men. Um, and I, I have to shout out to my father as well for just showing me that from very young, he's always taught me that you know, no matter who anyone is, no matter how they identify, it's all about respect and showing someone respect. And so I've always carried that with me. Um, so that's that's my two, my quick bit on, on race um, as well as, you know, gender and how I'm starting to construe it in my head. Well, first of all, there was a lot of nuggets there to unpack. First of all, yes. Juan, do you want to share about what is your ethnic heritage? Yeah, so my family is from El Salvador. 
I was born in the United States, um, so I identify as Latino. So how did you know about privilege? When did that come to light for you? It came to light when I would see that I would not get asked to do certain tasks, whether it was cleaning the dishes, cooking, serving the food. That were Those were tasks that were given to the females in the room um, at a party, in a social setting. And so for me, um, I had to be more cognizant of that, right? Because when someone holds privilege, you ignore that. That's, that's something that sort of comes as a benefit to you and you have the privilege to ignore it unless you're intentionally creating awareness around it. So I would intentionally create awareness around it and I would be the one to step in and offer myself to wash the dishes, clean something, serve something, um, to sort of break that stereotype and that mold a little bit in my family as well as just within my community and any other time I would see it as well in the office even, right? If you start seeing the women in the office start serving the sandwiches for lunch, like, oh, no, no, let me help you. Let me help you. Trying to change that up a little bit. So those are some instances, very personal, where I would start seeing um, that privilege. But also in college, you know, there was always experimenting with gender and and doing a little bit of drag. It was not good drag. This is not RuPaul's Drag Race drag. <laughs> but in sort of experimenting with gender, you you also start seeing um, a little bit of understanding of how another person can live their life, right? And the whole notion of walking in her heels can be taken very literally because heels hurt, right? It hurts to wear heels, yet there's like an expectation to wear them. Just like we have expectations of women um, or non-binary folks, uh, you know, to act a certain way, to be a certain way. Um, so yes, that I'll, I'll stop right there. I love that. And that's a great perspective. You know, because again, walking in somebody else's heels, you know, to your point, that's, you know, that that is really a way to create that connection and understanding compassion and all the things that we've talked about. But Anna, how about you? Tell us about your intersectionality journey. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Juan, for sharing. Um, so I also want to acknowledge my privilege, right? I think that one of the main areas of privilege that immediately stands out for me is like financial privilege, right? Um, so when I think about the fact that, yes, I was a first generation student, I also held the privilege that a lot of individuals don't have. And I think that that was very clear. So when I was younger, I did a lot of code switching, right? Um, and when I think about also race, and then gender intersectionality. Um, I think the reason that I'm so passionate about the DEI work is that as a woman of color and then raised by a father who fits into, you know, like um, white male, heterosexual, cisgender, like all those statuses, I had to learn how to nav not only navigate it, but really validate my experience because for a while I didn't have the skills or the knowledge or the research to understand that, right? Um, because I think about that 
more so when I was younger, like elementary school, especially, I didn't have Asian representation, uh, didn't have, you know, like females in um, role models and like high positions of power. So felt in those aspects a lot of time that relating to kind of like when you think about like Twinkie or banana, like you're yellow on the outside and then white on the inside. Um, and really how those dynamics came into play. Oh, there's so much there. I can relate to so much of that. Um, and especially in the being in corporate America, having worked in corporate and just the whole trying to fit in and the whole assimilation with your intersectionality and how much is too much where you lose yourself almost uh, and then have to pull yourself back, you know. So um, but the privilege piece, we had uh, some uh, an individual from Facebook who said, Privilege is very important to acknowledge in intersectionality. So that's huge. So Anjana, how about you? Tell us about your journey. So uh, being born in India, in, in Delhi, we also like to call it the rape capital of the country. Um, girls uh, have, you think when you think of being a woman, a young woman, a girl, and in, in Delhi, you it's hard to think of a lot of privileges um, and you're only focusing on, on a lot of vulnerabilities as you're growing up as a young woman. But we all have our privileges, right? And I think for me, um, as, as a young woman in India, it was a privilege to be growing in a very, very diverse society where so many different languages were spoken. And so you were automatically just speaking multiple languages, listening to multiple languages. So when eventually I got into the Red Cross and I was able to travel around the world, that really helped me to connect to people from various different cultures. And when you're able to do that, you get a lot of insights, right? And you learn a lot. And that for me has been the greatest privilege, just to be able to learn from the wisdom of of people really, really at the grassroots level. Um, oftentimes I would say, I used to say, you know, you go to some of these poorest villages, right? In Africa, in, in Haiti, in, in South Asia, and you realize the resilience that people have, right? And, and I, I often felt like I was the greatest beneficiary as a Red Crosser, not the people that we were trying to serve, right? Um, However, um, coming back to just the race and gender intersectionality here and now in, in the United States, um, being a brown-skinned woman is not easy in the professional world. Um, you know, you are often on the bottom when it comes to promotions or hirings or recognitions, and right? And so you always almost have to work harder, um, right? Sometimes you can be totally invisible and um, and in addition to just race and gender, in, add to that intersectionality that you're an immigrant. You don't speak English with the same accent, right? Your choice of words don't always resonate for the rest of the Americans. So you you know. So um, I was just talking to to my boss Adrian a minute ago, and I was like, you know, you see me with your the eyes of your heart because a lot of people don't see me you know, what I may have in me because it just, it's not in the same package as usually, right? The, the way it goes in, in America. And so 
but at the same time, you know, your privilege of being able to connect with people across cultures continues to be a privilege, right? To to be able to make those connections and and navigate through the society. You have such a unique view because you have really seen so much of the world. I, I wish that a lot of us could, you know, have that view because I think we would probably have more compassion uh, if we were able to be exposed to so much, so many different cultures. But uh, so let me switch gears a little bit with all of your experiences and obviously, you know, opportunity to work through various challenges and whatnot. Did you ever have either a mentor or a sponsor who supported you through this journey? And what did that look like? So let me start with Juan on that one. I appreciate this question on mentorship uh, because I've had so many mentors in my life and um, they can be informal mentors or people who don't even know that they're mentoring me. And, and of course, some formal ones um, in all steps of my career. Um, as it relates to race and ethnicity, um, there are a few that come to mind, right? That I've worked with before that have been in, in professional corporate spaces and have helped me to sort of navigate the code switching um, and also navigate my personal feelings I remember going to my first national conference and you look around the room at a national conference and you don't see many professional Latinos there. You know, you you go to the large dining bank, dining hall banquet and you're looking around and you don't see a lot of people that mirror who you are, except for the workers. Mm. At the hotels, you'll see that the workers are Latinos. They're the, they're the ones serving you the food. And I remember at one point feeling guilty um, early in my career, feeling just completely guilty because I could see my mother, I can see my father being that person. Um, and I remember having a conversation, um, her name was Debbie. And, and, you know, Debbie just explained to me, you know, roles and then the roles that we have to play as well um, as leaders. And, and sometimes the pathway to leadership is not easy, um, but the pathway that you're clearing will hopefully be a pathway for others to follow and for others to, to not have to experience what you're experiencing. Um, within the Red Cross, I feel like I'm learning every day from everyone, even folks who are here, right? So Anne, I just met you, Anjana is my boss, Anna is my colleague, and every time I hear their stories, I'm learning something new. I'm learning about different dynamics as it relates to race, ethnicity, and gender, and so many other, you know, demographics. Um, and I admire our leadership. You know, I want to call out Adrian, our chief diversity officer, for creating so much space for us to be ourselves, our authentic selves. Yes, she's absolutely amazing. Um, and I don't even think that sometimes she realizes she's mentoring me, but I mimic her. I mirror what she's doing. Um, our last chief diversity officer, Floyd Pitts, I still utilize some of his like techniques and methods to approaching DEI work. Um, and I just absorb. I absorb as much as I can. Um, Carmel 
who is our SVP of finance and one of the main persons who um, was involved in bringing me back to the Red Cross and engage in Latino initiatives. Um, what I love about her and what I've been learning about her most recently is how do I tell the story of DEI um, enhanced with metrics, enhanced with numbers, right? So I've always said, I am not good with math. Like, you know, another day goes by that I don't use algebra. Like that was what I used to say. And then I hear Carmel talk and I hear her confidence in, you know, someone who knows the numbers, knows, you know, uh, money, knows where it goes, how it's handled and how do we approach conversations, right? How do we make the business case around DEI? Um, and I've been inspired by that, right? I've been inspired to sort of continue in that and my learning on, on utilizing data and metrics to continue telling the story around DEI. So, so many different ways I've been mentored. And I think people just think it's a one-on-one -on -one meeting, um, but I think, you know, mentoring can happen in so many different capacities. One, you bring up a good point about mentoring through observation and also role modeling. And I think that's another way. Uh, and that's very important. And because not you're not going to get a chance necessarily to have one on one with everyone. So uh, what are ways you can pick up these some of these key things that you're like, oh, I like that style or, you know, I really yes. appreciate the way that they're delivering on something. So that's a that's a good call out. Anna, how about you? Yeah, I love this question also because I would not be where I am without mentors, right? So I think that mentors and podcasts, which I love, um, really changed my perspective and caused me to level up and see things in a new way. So I really appreciate this also. Um, and I love, Juan, how you were talking about when you said, Adrian, who's our boss, you don't know if she thinks or you don't know if she knows that you're absorbing that information because it's funny when I think of just the communication style and the confidence. And we always have this joke where we always talk about the notion of something, right? Just picking up on these little um, methods of communication. And when I think about a mentor for me, um, one of my strong mentors who comes to mind, um, her name is Juisa. I have to mention her also. I, I think she was actually my first mentor who was a woman of color and she also happened to be biracial. So kind of understood those dynamics of not fitting in with one or the other, right? The intersectionality that they both can happen together. Um, and also wanna say that we, we didn't really even have like one-on-ones either. It was more so, well, she is actually my boss. Um, so really just spending time and understanding like picking up on these small nuances and those communication skills as well. And she just had such bright ideas, like such big ideas and really, you know, um, leveling up my mental, like where I was thinking, right? Cause I used to be very transactional or not transactional, but like detail oriented, like thinking about like the small things. And then she would really bring it big picture for me. Um, so yeah. I love that she it sounds like she helped you understand like what are you really contributing to in the bigger picture and so yeah. the impact is more than just your task so yeah that's a good boss if they can it's kind of like asking the janitor of nasa what does he do for a living and he says you know i help people get to the moon 
you know, that's that bigger picture of why I, what my, why my job is important and who am I serving? So Anjana, how about you? Um, like, you know, Juan and Anna, I've had several, um, and, um, right here, Mr. Juan Garcia here, he doesn't know, but every single time he's speaking, I pay a lot of attention to him and learn a lot from him. Um, every single time he's speaking. Um, and it's like, you're the sage in my life right now. Um, but I want to go a little backward in, in my, in my early life as a, as a young adult, um, somebody called Kanti, Kanti Chandrakar, Kanti auntie, I used to call her auntie in India, everybody's auntie, right? Even if they're your neighbors, <laughs> auntie, uncle, there's always a relation there. And what I learned from her, was that she was always eager to serve, no matter who came, how many people came, with appointment, without appointment. Her husband was a doctor, and the clinic was downstairs, and anybody, and she always had a smile. And she didn't make very, right, uh, complex or big meals, simple meals, but she would always serve a tea or a cookie or some lentil and rice. and. And that for me was, um, was, you know, continues to be an impact. And I, I still, till date for me, it's really important to be able to host, to be able to serve, whether it's through the Red Cross mission or whether just through the personal life, how can we nourish each other, whether that is uh, with food, right? With physical or with spiritual, emotional um, ways, just nourishing others and not getting tired of it and not doing it you know, one of the recent things I learned somewhere was uh, sometimes memes can be also, you know, teachers, because I recently learned something through a reel and Instagram. And they said, don't say I have to do something, but say, you know, right, like we, I have to go to work today and I have to work on this project. Think of people that don't have work. So say I get to go to work today. I get to work on this project today, right? Um, and so same thing. And I saw that in her, like she always served with all her heart. And then the second person I want to mention is Henrietta Spears. She used to work with me when I worked for Save the Children. And she now is like my second mommy. She's from Louisiana. And um, she grew up in a very uh, poor household. And um, she said, Anjana, we didn't need windows in our in our walls because we had holes um she grew up in that sort of a environment and now she's a licensed mental health worker amazing amazing person and she always teaches me about empathy right always trying to learn from from people try to un try to right you can never fully understand what's going on in another person's mind but um really putting yourself in their place and and she takes me in a in a spiritual journey faith wise i'm very grounded in faith and she too is and we both happen to be christian and one of the things that adrian and i were just talking about is sometimes we want to fight 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 right because there's so much coming at us and one of the mantras that she's given me is be still right if you're if you're drowning and you move make a lot of movement you are you're going to be drowning more right but if you just let your body just float on the water you will be able to survive and thrive eventually so those are the two people and henrietta also is so important for me because coming from india it was very hard for me to understand the race 
and the racial discrimination and the systemic discrimination. And she, Henrietta coming as a, you know, as a black woman coming from Louisiana, she really has helped me um, not, not only understand the systemic issues in, in America, but also when I'm interacting with people from different races in the American context, what does it mean and how should I interpret and sort of navigate through that? Absolutely. It's, uh, it's complex, right? It's complex because it's all in the, the context of where you're, where you're at, but you're bringing all of these other cultural acumen and cultural nuances to the table. I was curious because of the type of work that you do, you all do. And I, I look at it as it's very emotionally driven work. Uh, there's a lot of emotional investment in the work. So I'm curious, Anna, how do you stay resilient? How do you manage that so that you don't get overwhelmed? I think it's all about community, um, connecting with those people that you really care about, especially, you know, when you're overwhelmed. These are deep and these are harsh conversations. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned that because last Thursday we had our team meeting after and we were all getting into deeper conversations, right? So we could get to know each other better. And in that moment, I just felt like my spirit needed to be released. Like it needed to say something and um, I ended up crying. <laughs> and But I think that it, it helped everyone get a better understanding of, you know, how I was feeling at the time and help others get a better understanding of who I am, right? Because vulnerability is really important because if you don't, you know, show up and tell others how you're feeling in that aspect, they don't know how to help you at the same time. So I think that it's really all about connecting with the people that you care about um, and, you know, really trying to find the community. That is so important, especially when we've not had an opportunity to meet face to face and now we're just starting. So, I mean, community looks very different these days. So what about you, Angeno? How do you how do you deal with the emotions of it all? Because I'm sure it can be very taxing. It is. So I'm going to just move my camera just a little bit, show you one of my biggest source of resiliency that's my husband um you want to say my husband <laughs> um he's also a red crosser and my son abraham family comes first for me um they are and my red cross family so you know right here anna juan adrian um, whenever I've gone out um, in any mission, our Red Cross family and our, our my immediate family is really the greatest source of, of resiliency. I talk a lot. I have to process it out by talking. Um, but at the same time, I think what's key is self-awareness. Over the years, that is something that I've built. Like, I know when I have to shut down. I know when I need to pick up the phone and call my husband and say, you know what? This happened, right? Um because it is a it is a huge responsibility to be interacting with people who are suffering and if you're not going to be aware of your own stress and your own energy that you're bringing to that context you can end up doing more harm than you know benefit people and do no harm is an imperative for our work so um self-awareness and then making sure that you are doing everything that you need to nourish your own soul and take care of yourself 
is really, really important. And, and friends and family play a big, big role in addition to exercising and music and good food and things like that. Absolutely. And hopefully having some fun too in there somewhere. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. Juan, what do you do? What's your way of managing through stress and emotional depths? Now, I'm so happy you asked this question, Suan, because I am still figuring it out. <laughs> I'm still figuring it out. Um, and I, I want to be transparent about that because I don't have an answer that is going to be inspirational or that's going to be um, easygoing. I, every day, am trying to figure out how to continue to deal with the emotions, right, that comes with doing DEI work. Um, the emotions that come with, you know, facing issues uh, that deal with gender, race, ethnicity. Um, and, and, you know, I try to take the practical approaches, right? Prayer. Um, I run. I try to exercise. I try to keep a stable mind. Um, but sometimes it, it's hard. And, you know, like Anna mentioned, like sometimes you just have to let go of those emotions. And do I do allow myself to cry. I do allow myself to process. I also come back to the people who I consider my healers, right? Which is one, God, but two, my parents, my mother and my father. And I stay rooted in what they have taught me around resiliency. You know, migrating to this country um, over, you know, 35 years ago, uh, completely moving their homes, establishing a new home, um, facing challenges, language barriers, mm -hmm. um, discrimination. And here I am around the same age that they were coming to this country with so much more privilege because they set me up for that. Yet I know that I have to continue. So I stay rooted in their story, knowing that I am just a building block of their lives as well, right? I'm standing on their shoulders. And so I know that I have to be resilient because of that. But in the practical methodological work behind it, I am definitely still figuring that out every day. And sometimes it's harder than other days, but I like to be transparent around that because I don't think there's just a one and all solution. I think it is a almost like a journey and an ongoing healing effort as new issues also come up. Well, you could have different issues daily that need require different ways of addressing your emotional needs. So, exactly. I, and I love the fact that one, you're like, you're very connected to like the past, present, future. It seems like you're very connected in your history and how that shapes you. And then how does that push you forward? So I really appreciate that about you. Thank you. So, let me ask, you know, from a perspective of the Red Cross mission, can you share any examples where you've impacted communities, something that touched you personally, something that, you know, you know that your work directly impacted uh, the community that you serve? So any examples of that? And I'll let you guys jump in, whoever wants to start. How about Anjana? <laughs> I, I too was thinking of Anjana. She has the most international experience and domestic experience in deployments as well. Um, there's so many examples. I was just thinking which one should I pick. Um, so, um, 
since Ukraine is on everybody's mind, let me bring an example from there. Um, the last time when the Crimea intervention happened, I was out there doing um, conflict analysis between uh, not Russia and Ukraine in that moment. I was doing a conflict analysis between the internally displaced population and the host communities within the country because right even the languages between east and west ukraine are are different and people were just feeling you know all these people are coming and encroaching in our lives and now we have to share resources so we had to uh, so you know we were looking at programming around that and um and i remember um just sometimes just conversations and opening up spaces for people to be able to share can lead to healing, right? And and I remember, uh, and Red Cross has been that platform for me, uh, for folks to, to, you know, just walk on their path of recovery. And I met with this people, a couple, they were both in their 90s, and it was snowing, it was white, it was covered with snow, and these were tin shelters. So tin shelters, um, in hot, they can be very, very hot. In cold, they can be very, very cold. And here I walked into their little trailer kind of shelter. And um, this very beautiful old lady, um, she's just sitting and, you know, I was holding her hand and, and she said, God has, God has forgotten us. Because when I was 16 year old, that's when the Second World War happened. And I saw my brother exploding on a landmine, going into pieces. I lost my father to that. My husband and I were young kids. We got married and we built our life. And now we are in our 90s. Tell me, how am I going to rebuild what I've left over there? Right? Because now she was far away from her hometown. She's like, God has just, right, um, forgotten us. And and we were holding hands and that, and she's crying and, and I'm crying. And and I don't speak Russian. She was speaking to me in Russian, and there was a Russian, Ukrainian Red Cross person. We always work through our local, local um, colleagues. And even through the interpretation, where you know, where I'm crying, and I'm like, you know, God has sent me all the way from America just to tell you that He's not forgotten you, and we are here to listen to your needs and meet them as much as we can. And so those moments, right, always, always, always stay with you because all of a sudden somebody's so lonely they've given up hope and you know a red cross hands comes and holds their hands and talks to them and gives them hope and that's the end goal right um from a, another example um from right here in america um just two years three years ago during the flooding in the southern part of texas around um very close to the Mexican border there, it often floods there and um, we were working there and there's a, a area called Las Colonias. So the, these are unincorporated houses uh, where a lot of time people that are undocumented live there. And so even though we will open our shelters and we will have our fixed feeding sites, people feel afraid to come out to Red Cross because you know, to or to any helping agency because they're afraid that they, you know, the government officials will see them and will deport them. So one of the programs that the American Red Cross has is called Latino Engagement. And we have trained teams that are culturally competent and also have the linguistic ability to go and connect with those folks. And so two months 
uh, two weeks after, you know, we're still going out and we look for these through the maps, but it's very hard to even find those people who are in unincorporated houses through the maps because they don't show on the maps, right? They pop in and they pop out. Um, so what we do is we take our emergency uh, relief vehicles and we take them in these colonies and ask, right? We ask people, where else do you think there are more housing? And so we go house by house. And I remember two weeks after the flooding, you would think that, you know, all needs are taken care of somewhere they've gotten. And, and I remember taking the stuff to this particular lady, some food, some cleaning items. And as I walked down and entered, she came running to me, hugged me, and she's crying. And she's like, you're the first person coming to help me. And I remember taking that stuff inside her home. And I, it was hard to breathe there for more than 15 seconds because the house was still full of mold and everything. So if not for the American Red Cross, no one else was going to go look for those undocumented people, right? And so those are some, some I could go on and on with those examples, but just to give you a little flavor of our work. I just, that's a, oh, it touches my heart and it just, it hits you right in the center of, you know, it's, it's the reality that's hitting, right? That's the reality which is what we're talking about here. So Juan, you were going to say something as well. Yeah, well, no, it's hard to follow up Anjana. And I think that's why both Anna and I wanted her to go first. <laughs> but I I quickly just want to touch on um, what Anjana said around Latino engagement teams and, and supporting that around the work that I've been working on too with the Latino resource group. I know there was a question in the chat around ERGs and feeling siloed um, and, and how do we push for more intersectionality. And so um, one, um, it's, you know, who are your advocates within the organization? Um, the way our resource groups are split up is that we have um, an executive champion. So someone on the C-suite that represents each of those uh, resource groups. And then we have national co-sponsors that continue to advocate, and they're probably at a VP or senior director position, uh, followed by national co-chairs and steering committees and various leadership roles. But we also have three um, areas within the resource groups that we like to promote out um, as focus areas. So one is business impact, right? Um, how is, or you could also call it mission impact, um, how is the resource group impacting the mission or the business of the organization? Um, second, professional development. And third, networking. And I think, one, having those goals, um, not just created by your national co-chairs, but really coming from the top, you know, asking your executive champion clearly, hey, what would you like us to focus on? How can we help to benefit the mission of the organization? Um, what can we do? Uh, to better our organization or our processes. Um, how can we serve truly as a resource to the organization is sometimes a conversation that gets missed, right? Because that resp responsibility is put on usually uh, lower level folks to try and figure out what to do. And, and truly what we need is more push from the top um, of what are our goals and what do we need to achieve and how can we also influence others through their voice to take action. And so 
when Anjana brought up the, the Latino engagement teams, I thought of the Latino Research Group and how much the Latino Research Group has grown within the past two years. Um, to the point now where not only are we holding a lot of different learning sessions for our folks, we created a mentoring program that's also uh, tied to our HR processes and we are tracking promotions and movement within the organization. Um, but on the mission side, on the mission impact, the Latino Research Group is now equipped to be called on to see if we need Latino engagement team members, to see if we can invite others to become involved um, within the mission-serving work, especially with Latino or Spanish-speaking communities um, or undocumented communities. And so I see that as a success um, and, and alignment within the different departments that exist within the Red Cross. And I think sometimes, you know, for the person who asked that question, it's hard to find that alignment. But I always like to say, you don't have to figure it out, right? There are folks at the top that can also help you do that. And you just have to challenge them as well. And don't be afraid to challenge them because you're showcasing your own leadership in doing so. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's got to be both, right? You've got to have grassroots efforts, but then you also have to have direction, vision, mission that's aligned to the organization. So that's huge. So Anna, how do you support the DEI team? What are the things that you do that enables them to do their work? Yeah, I'm glad that you reiterated the question because after Anjana's, I was like, wait, what was the question again? Um, yeah, so... I started with the Red Cross about two weeks ago, or two months ago, um, and it's a large organization. So there are a lot of initiatives and efforts that we're working on. And so I'm a DEI admin analyst, and I think that part of it is kind of like a project event coordinator, and part of it is kind of like an executive assistant role. Uh, so we have a lot of initiatives that we're working on and some of them are around, right? Like pulling the data to really tell the story. I think that that's a big initiative that we wanna work on because we collect a lot of data, right? But, or Juan mentioned earlier that we have a cultural competency series every month. So I kind of think of it similar to like a lunch and learn uh, where we have people come in and share their expertise and their experience and then we can help um, then we can really help Red Crossers take that lesson and apply it to their daily lives or their like daily work, right? And I think that, for example, like that's just one area where we're collecting the data on how many people are um, leaning in on these. And then a lot of efforts that we're working on is um, with our workforce and volunteer staff, right? Increasing the demography in that aspect. So we have some, um, charts that we send out or like presentations that we pull out is where we want to be able to be account, like hold ourselves accountable for that and then share with the organization where we are, right? So we'll um, break down demography by like race and ethnicity. And then right now we have binary gender, which we have a working group we're working on um, and kind of break it down by departments, right? So biomedical services, humanitarian services, national headquarters, um, and then also breaking it down by what position you're in, right? So we can see uh, executive leadership and then we can see professionals and then we can see volunteer staff and seeing how those really come aligned so we can come together to um, 
use this data in a way that we can adapt the mission to be more equitable. And that's kind of what my role is. I love that. Well, you need the data and you need the story. You need to marry the two, right? Because data informs you whether or not what you're doing is working or not working and what you need to adjust. So that's very important. So believe it or not, we're past our time. Can you believe how fast it flew? So I'm going to give you each 10 seconds to let the audience know how they can engage. What are ways that they can engage to the with the American Red Cross? Anjana? Sure. Uh, we would love for you to come and volunteer with us, www.redcross.org. Um, uh, come to your closest chapter. And uh, we are really trying to diversify our staff and our volunteers um, with various skills. So if you want to serve your community, please come on in. And we have a lot of free training. So we will provide you with the skills and training to serve your community. Thank you. Juan. Yes, I mean, I, I love that someone already put it on the chat, redcross.org. Um, every region has uh, their own specific areas of ways to get involved. And so please check out regionally as well how you can get involved. Don't please go overwhelmed by the national initiatives that we discussed here today. There's a lot of ways to get involved locally. Um, and we can't wait to have you on board. Thank you so much. Anna, take us home. Yeah, I'd also say that um, even if, you know, maybe DEI isn't the area that you're most interested, there's so many different organizations and initiatives within uh, the Red Cross that you can really lean into. And we welcome volunteer partners. Um, so, for example, like there, sorry, this is over 10 seconds. <laughs> Um, but there's so many like great initiatives. Like for one example, we're using artificial intelligence um, to help with like uh, a lot of the aquatics programs and we're bringing in that equity lens as well. So just want to put out there that there's so many different areas and you can definitely find something that you're interested in. Very good. And if people want to reach out to you individually uh, on LinkedIn to get more information, are you open to absolutely people reaching out? Absolutely. All right. Are you all on LinkedIn? Yes. And yeah. yes, there are youth programs. And yes, Jose, you can volunteer in El Salvador. Woohoo. All right. Yes. With that, I'm going to put us to close. We could go another session, part two. And <laughs> I would love to bring Dana and Moana back on. Thank you so much to our panelists tonight and the American Red Cross for the incredible work. That yeah. you're doing, and I just feel very privileged to be on NDAC with all of you. I thank definitely you. agree. Definitely. Yes, thank and, you. Um, uh, I know uh, Juan wanted to answer one of the questions from the audience asking if there's youth programs uh, that the Red Cross is offering that youth can be part of. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so awesome. So as they said, definitely go to redcross.org. Look at some of the initiatives, both locally and nationally, and also internationally. If you're like Jose, who mentioned about volunteering outside of the country, that you can go and help other uh, places, because we already know like uh, Puerto Rico and so many other places got devastated with hurricanes and much mm -hmm. more. They need all the help they can get. So definitely um, go to redcross.org and see how you can help 
uh, not only individually, but you may even see how you can do something with your corporation mm -hmm. uh, to also help. I know my corporation is doing stuff with the Red Cross, with the initiatives with from the hurricanes. They do it every year. So uh, we definitely um, see how you can integrate that into your corporate culture also. Mm -hmm. Dana, uh, Dana. Uh, tonight was a great conversation. <laughs> Thanks to Sue Ann. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Sue Ann sees me so much uh, because not only <laughs> is she on here, she does stuff at my company also. So if you would like to book Sue Ann, please contact her. That's right. Go to tapwa.org. You see it in the, uh, in the little runner of the banner right there. Go to the website, send a message saying, hey, love the topic that Sue Ann had for develop your talent. Love to book her at my corporation and donate to Capua and she will come and speak because she's done numerous things at my company. Thank that's you so right. much, uh, my PR person right there. That's okay. right. That's right. Dana's all of our PR. <laughs> oh, and then it looks goodness. like uh, a user says another, you know, an awesome panel. Thank you to our panelists. Yes, I definitely agree. This was an amazing mm -hmm. panel. Uh, of course, if you all are open to doing a part two, please let Sue Ann know. We'll schedule a part two so we can continue this conversation because uh, as Sue Ann know, we polled our listeners and the people that watch us live of what topics they wanted to hear for developing their talent. And this was one of the ones they uh, spoke on. So we wanted to make sure each month we spoke on a topic that they asked that they wanted to see. And thank you so much for helping them to uh, have this being spoke on uh, here at the Moana Nui podcast with all of your insight and all of your stuff that you've done within the communities. And we thank each of you for all yes. of your impact, both uh, whether you think it's small or not, it's a huge impact for what you're doing and definitely giving each of you your roses. Uh, as someone mentioned in the chat, thank you giving people roses that impact you, but you're impacting people through this panel tonight. So yes, thank you so, thank you much. so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, Moana, any last words before we go ahead and go into the outro? Nope. Uh, just thank you so much, um, everyone. I definitely look forward to connecting with you after this and yeah. finding some ways for us to collaborate together further. Exactly. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to the Moana Nui podcast. Definitely tune in for next Thursday. We're going to have, of course, our other monthly segment for mental health, Rain Talks. Uh, she is going to be talking about burnout. A lot of people experience it, and you got to see the mental impact burnout can do to you. So tune in for that episode next week. And um, also, we're going to have uh, another uh, a panel of our Disney fans. Uh, they're going to be talking about the new Pinocchio movie that was on Disney Plus. So definitely tune in for that next week also. So everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're watching this on the replay, please share this also with your friends and family so they can learn about this because the only way to create more intersectionality is to talk about it and do something about it. So thank you everyone for tuning in and have a great evening. Bye everyone. Thank you all.
So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will If this the land of the free was a freedom then When they annexed Hawaii and called it see the lands Without any type of payment and no signing off Called themselves the Republic in 1894 1.2 million acres overtaken from the native Hawaiians When they resisted, the West retaliated in violence and erasure The Hawaiian language is banned As part of colonialism's plan to expand, yeah Stuck between a rock and a hard place Multiple bombings of Koholave As a part of their ongoing war with Asia Used it as a place for target practice No consent or compensation Colonizers call for annexation No regard for all the locals School will never let you know So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If we won't tell it, we will even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell me we will We will So if we put Hawaii in a perspective Well black and Asian history is interconnected Considering the fight with the Pacific Then of course versus Asia They was treated as a middleman for war But they didn't let the western colorism run its course Cause dark skin was a sign of dignity to core The land was taken in the name of capitalism When prior to it was an actual kingdom Clap back at the system Stuck between a rock and a hard place Multiple bombings of Koholave As a part of their ongoing war with Asia Used it as a place for target practice No consent or compensation Colonizers call for annexation No regard for all the locals School will never let you know So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves can keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will Too many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will